When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Phillips Show. Well, thanks again, Gary. What a great introduction. Welcome to another Terrence and Phillips Show. I'm Philip Hodgetts. And I'm Terrence Curran. And we've been to NAB. Well, I did. Yeah, and I didn't. For the you broke a streak of how many years? Over 25 years. And I just decided this year there was really no value in it for me anymore. I can only say that the value is meeting friends and, and seeing people that I only see most of the, don't see most of the rest of the year. Yeah, that's that's the only part I miss is that, you know, there's people from other parts of the world that I didn't get to see this year. But I'm communicating with them on the web all the time. So yeah. it's almost, you know, not having the FaceTime doesn't, isn't really that important anymore. Yeah, face, Facebook has kind of ruined NAB because you already know what everybody's up to. So the standing question, so what have you done since last year? It's like, oh, so you've had the child, you've moved house, you've <laughs> done all these things. There's almost nothing new. Right. So there's that. And then uh, everything that you want to know about, you kind of know it beforehand. I mean, it used to be you went to NAB because I want to see what's new and, and unique. And other than Black Magic, it's almost like nobody else has anything new every year. And and now Black Magic, it's just about what new camera or how much cheaper is the gear. You know, I mean, it's, it, there's nothing really that you're not going to find out somewhere else or see that or not be able to see somewhere else. I've been going to the HPA Tech Retreat, which we've talked about, yeah. and that puts me kind of that's sort of like here's what's going to be in two years. Yeah. So. That's far more valuable. I, I go to that, and I know what's going to be at NAB two years from now is, right. is the bottom line. So it's kind of why am I you know, wasting the time and the money? Because it's expensive to go to NAB when you get down to it. You know, sure, registration's free, but you're paying for <laughs> hotel rooms, and food in Vegas is not cheap, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's not uh, an inexpensive proposition. So I really I didn't go, and then people I know who did go – said, well, you picked a good year to not go because there was really nothing there. It was a consolidation year, which, thank goodness, really, we can use a year where Blackmagic doesn't release yet another new camera, where where Sony only have four new cameras, not four new formats. And uh-huh. and it's a chance to get the workflows consolidated. It's a chance to work out how we're going to make the stuff that was released last year and or announced last NAB shipped around IBC or later and... And now we learn how to use it. So it's good to get a year without too much drama happening. Yeah, because there's, there's enough drama wrapped around everything anyway. So, And we kind of worked out what the main themes would be beforehand. I mean, there's obviously drones. The, the, the drone pavilion was like a buzzing pack of mosquitoes constantly. And, and the software there has become so incredibly clever that, that the skill in, in flying them is not the extreme challenge challenge that thank you yeah than it was originally I, I remember in 2012 when i was trying to learn to fly one for the solar odyssey expedition it was no software control then there was no you know soft takeoff and just tilt the ipad one way or the other to get it to move or no smarts at all but the company that we were working with i saw on their board their software path and i thought there's not a lot of point learning this stuff because the software is going to take over a lot of it yeah it, and, and it has which is great which really brings us to the to the point of your your big point of the day is of course that software is going to take over pretty much everything yes you know that automated editing that i've been talking about for what seven or eight years now doesn't seem so silly anymore <laughs> is, yeah we're getting really close now actually yeah. um that you know that kind of that's a level of ai that's yeah. required there but it's not it, it's going to happen you know, they're expecting human-equivalent AI 
between 2030 and 2040, depending yeah. on who you, you know, which expert you listen to. Yeah. But bottom line, so let's say it's 2040. Let's say it's 2045. Yeah. That's still not that far away, you know. And that's human level intelligence. Yeah. And what people don't think about, because we think linearly, is that one nanosecond after it's as smart as a human, it's smarter than humans. Yeah. A minute later, it's very much smarter than humans. Yes. A day later, we're cockroaches yes. to it. People aren't paying attention to this, you know, and it's it's scary stuff. Yeah. But our society is going to melt down far before then anyways because the jobs will have already been replaced, and that's the bigger issue. Yeah, I, well, I, self-driving cars, you know, what's that, four million, four million jobs? Four and a half million. Yeah. Four and a half million jobs will be gone. And it's funny, I, I'm reading the uh, paper yesterday, and the truckers are shipping out of L.A. Harbor and all that. They're pushing, uh, you know, they they should have a dedicated lane on the freeway because the shipping is expected to double in the next five years through L.A. Harbor and all that. And I'm just thinking to myself, you guys are pretty stupid because the second you get a dedicated lane, you're gone. I mean, yeah. because now they'll instantly put in robot driven cars because you don't have any danger anymore of, you know, we really need to have a human in there. Yeah. No, they're in their own lane. Forget about it. There's yeah. nobody. Yeah. So they're actually cutting their own throats trying to push for stuff like this. It's pretty funny to me. Anyways, I'm just, I'm ranting Well, it's now. a case of being within the forest and not seeing that you are in a forest and that there's a tree cutter approaching you very quickly. Yes. But it's on the edge of the forest, not where you are right now. And it's yeah. not far away. So, no. yeah. And sort of swinging back to NAB, Black Magic showed Resolve 12.5. Yep. With lots of editing improvements, and it's getting closer to being a usable NLE. It's definitely getting closer to what I want, which is the finishing system that I don't have to go back. <laughs> you know, I don't have to round trip back to. You Avid want your symphony back and grown up. Yeah, well, yeah. Since Avid refused to do it, Black Magic has stepped in and is doing it instead. So, yeah. okay, we've talked many times about the short sightedness of the management at Avid, but they definitely have talked to themselves out of an industry. Not that they're going to go away anywhere out of the, the big media enterprise that they serve us so well. But think about that, okay? Yeah. So what, what would you say is Avid's you know, remaining strong point would be broadcasters because they buy the big storage systems, the you know, ISIS that's going to run across multiple stations, et cetera, right? Keep, keeping in mind that the editing software is a relatively unimportant part of Avid's business. It's absolutely, yeah. It's only to sell ISIS units, right? So... I think we've dropped the ISIS name because it's tainted. uh, (laughs) Nexus now. It's Nexus. The point is, that's all of their eggs are pretty much in that one basket. And guess which industry is going away? Yeah. Broadcast. So, hmm... If I had to back a horse right now, it wouldn't be that one. And one of the drivers for automation, of course, is is reduced budgets. Yes. If you have constantly reduced budgets because markets, audiences are shrinking, a broadcast hit now would have been a disaster 20 years ago. Yes. In terms of reach, because we've got this fragmentation. People. Fragment, yeah. I wouldn't say that the market itself is shrinking. It's fragmented. No. So, so individ- yeah, you don't have the monopoly anymore. Hey, you're going to watch ABC, <laughs> NBC, or CBS. Which one? Yeah. You know, those days are long gone. And it's interesting. All of them are trying to figure out, you know, how do we get into this uh, streaming universe? They realize the writing is on the wall finally. But without changing our businesses that we have now. Yeah, the problem is they're <laughs> trying not to. 
we're not going to see broadcast 4K, HDR, et cetera. This is not going to happen. Nobody's going to spend the infrastructure to broadcast all of that. So the future is about streaming over the web, over the Internet as it exists. So I'm looking at that going, I wouldn't have put all my eggs in that basket if I was that company. But And then when you look well, at what they're, they're doing, what are they? They're, they're now a server company, right? If yeah. it's all about ISIS and Interplay. Yeah. Who would have predicted that? Um, I wonder. <laughs> the only thing you got wrong is that they still kept the uh, the other parts of the business for the moment. Yeah, for now. Well, yeah, but they're letting them die at, at yeah. NAB, uh, apparently, from the people who went there that I've talked to. Media Composer was in two little pods buried in the booth way back as an unimportant sort of side thing, and not a lot of people there checking it out. Yeah, unfortunately, they didn't really capture the mind of a generation of editors coming up that aren't assisting within the Hollywood system. Exactly. Um, people who have started with Media Composer in that, that system still want to use Media Composer. And let's be honest here, nobody's got a, a, a sharing story, a, sh- a shared right. workflow that, right. that approaches Media Composer yet. Yet. Resolve paid version comes with server-based sharing out of the box yeah it's not really it's yeah. not they they have to get to bin level locking to to do what avid's doing what resolve has is one editor and one colorist can oh, be okay. sharing and the editor has owns the timeline right. so the colorist if even if he made an editing change it would never come across to the editor all the colorist can do is go hey i've got more color correction changes for you and the editor can decide okay i'll accept them and they come right. into his timeline so it's not really shared editing like Avid does, yeah. so no, and, no, and, which I don't understand why. Is there a patent there that nobody can? One would think if there was a patent that it would be close to the end of its life. Something. Why is it so difficult for other companies to come up with the same type of solution? It's definitely not easy to do, and therefore you have to come down to, is it worth, oh, is it worth the investment it? Uh-huh. Of, of all the work that we needed to do this thing, mm-hmm. which is going to affect 10 Five, ten thousand, maybe twenty thousand people who really, really need that. Mm-hmm. Or do we create a feature that that two hundred thousand, or five hundred thousand, or eight hundred thousand people are going to use? Which makes more sense to Adobe and Apple, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, but that's not the business model that Avid had, and now, of course, the current leadership has decided that oh, they're going to be a platform. We're going to have this toll road that connects the artist with the end user. That's all great, except they're like putting up toll booths without a road there. so And, and then it puts them in direct competition with people who actually know how to do that stuff, like Amazon and Google and Apple. Yeah, and, you yeah, know. and Facebook. And- at the risk of pissing everybody off at Avid, which I seem to do on a regular basis, it really reeks of we're just trying to see how long we can continue to take our $5 million a year payroll out of the company and milk that. Yes. You're, you're so quiet. <laughs> Not as daring as I am. No, it's really, it's really hard to, to, to disagree with you. I just don't have any direct evidence that that's what they're planning to do. So No, I mean, you just look at the, you know, the yearly reports and you see how much people are pulling out. And... I personally think that the amount of compensation for senior executives within Avid is completely out of whack with the financial performance of the company. Yeah, exactly. And that worries me immensely. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That's probably what you were trying to say. You put it into a little bit more politically correct. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I just look at it and I go, okay, so one of those guys could take a, a 20% pay cut and I could have a completely state-of-the-art Da Vinci-level color corrector in Symphony. Yeah. He'd only have to take that pay cut for one year yeah. and I could have that. What's more important? Not the product. Yes. Well, the board of directors is the ones that are yeah. 
calling the shots there. So you know what? <laughs> There's a reason that Avid hit the the new low on the stock price, the lowest ever this last week or so. So, anyways. Yep. Yep. Uh, of course, NAB was all about uh, high dynamic range, wide color gamut, um, and that's a good thing. We, we've talked about this before. And yes, better pixels, not more. Better pixel pixels, not more pixels. There was the obligatory 8K demo, but there was an 8K demo two years ago, I think, wasn't there? And, and, uh, <laughs> because we're going to stream 8K to the house. No. Sure. No. Not at the bandwidth I get in my neighborhood. No. The thing that excited me most at NAB was being honored as one of Studio Daily's top 50 most influential yeah. creatives and technologists. Congratulations, by the way. That was pretty cool. Thank you. Yes, it was pretty cool. I liked the company that I was in. I thought, okay. Yes. <laughs> a couple of notable, notable absentees in the technology era. In the absence of Ted Shilowitz and Gary Adcock, it's probably not a comprehensive technologist panel, at least. But, hey, I'm, I'll take it. You know what I say? It was earned. Yeah, you know, and, and they can't they can't be every year anyway, so it no. just depends on – but it puts you up in that league, which is, you know, no, like no, I said, no. you've earned it. So The other thing that I found very exciting was a, it's called a Z-Cam. A Z-Cam? Yeah, it's an intended to be a – So this is going to be the last one, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously they haven't got anywhere to go, have they? <laughs> they pitch themselves as being a more professional GoPro. Oh, Okay. And compared with the, I think it's Blackmagic have a... Um, yeah, the Mini they had last year, whatever. Yeah, mini, that, yeah. It's mini cinema camera. Something, yeah. But it's only 2K. Oh, I didn't know it was only 2K. Yeah. I thought they were doing 4K. No, I, I went and made sure because I thought, oh, by, by IBC, I realized that the GoPros were not a panacea for every sort of problem that I might have. That yes. battery life and of late overheating problems are making the longer recordings that I want to do with them. Uh, more problematic and the zcam people are honest and they say well we'll only get about 40 minutes per battery well that's fine if i can plan for 40 minutes per battery that's basically what i get on a gopro as long as it doesn't overheat as well but is it a built-in battery or swappable battery? swappable oh okay and it's got a regular quarter inch mount so you don't have to do funny straps and weird like gopro that. mounts and yeah records to micro sd cards same way so and it's a metal body so it won't overheat Oh, that's easily. Cool. So, yeah, I was really impressed with that. And uh, price point at six ninety nine plus lens. Okay, that was going to be my question. Yeah, it's price a micro four third, so it's got a standard. So it's six ninety nine without the lens. I believe it's without the lens. I would be surprised having priced a micro four thirds lens. Yeah, it was. If, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to cost me another six ninety nine or seven ninety nine for a lens, for the the lens that I'd like to put on it. So, is that that much better than the the Blackmagic pocket camera? Again, not four K. Right. And for me, the the 4K gives me the ability to to frame a little bit more loosely and get multiple oh, shots out in. of yeah, yeah out of the um out of the now that's a very specific example mm-hmm. of where 4K solves a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Basically, I don't have to have a camera operator because I've got 4K fields because you could never move cameramen around anyway, right? If they're on a tripod, so fixed camera positions, but I can get different shots. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not quite as good as I'd like. Nothing, no, you know, no problem with the with the video quality. It's good enough for the application. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm using a tool in a way that it was never designed to be used, and I'm sure GoPro never test for running it for forty minutes. Yeah, that's well. I mean, maybe if you're you know skiing down the side of a hill, it's cooler, anyways, right? <laughs> or if you're riding on the motorcycle. Yeah. I see the guys on motorcycles all the time with the GoPros yeah, yeah, on their yeah, helmet. Yeah. yeah. Then I guess the air cooling in that case probably takes care of that issue. Yeah. But sitting in a restaurant, a outdoor patio of a restaurant in, in not even summer, but in, in the warm springs that we have, well, it's problematic. Let's just go with that. Okay. So I was looking for a more professional alternative, and I found one. 
Well, I thought maybe you were going to buy the new Lytro camera instead, then that would be... <laughs> yeah, I have enough time with post-production anyway, so... Yeah. Have you seen, <laughs> did you see the body of it? No. Oh, my God. You see the data rate that it generates, yeah. though? I mean, oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a, basically a lab experiment at the moment. Yes. But 10 years from now, that 10 is not going to... 10 years, it'll be... Yeah, exactly. This will be something that you can afford and you will use, and unfortunately, people should sit two of those uh, up, get two angles on a scene, do one take like you predicted, yep. and then do everything in post and give post no more time or money. But you will have to frame and focus and light in post. Yeah, exactly. And the DPs will hate us even more. Yep. Well, the interesting thing is that the camera itself, the body of it, I mean, again, I wasn't there, but I'm looking at these pictures with people walking around the camera so you get the scale. It's huge. It's bigger than from here to where you're sitting. So it's probably, you know, it's almost the size of a car as yeah. far as length and all that. It's, it's amazing. I'm kind of thinking, well, okay, that we're, we're a ways off from the uh, using it in a normal situation. But, yeah, there will be that point in time when you set two of them up and shoot it, and that's it. Yeah. I wonder if it, if it it's not a certain amount of that is just they need the length for the lens, you know, for the capturing the light. I have no idea. I've not even looked into the, the science behind a Lytro camera. How does, does it, it just, even it add lenses? It captures all the light, basically. <laughs> yeah. Whereas a lens will focus, you know. A limited field for the amount of light, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and they just capture all the light and let you do the rest in post. But as you said, it generates an insane amount of data. I thought 4K was bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you do a DPX uh, 4K on a feature and it's about a terabyte for every 20-so minutes, it's insane. It literally is insane. This The storage has just gone out the roof. And the other insane thing is virtual reality. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I had the little primer here at Editor's Lounge a couple of weeks back. Uh, because I, I didn't feel that I could gain anything from what was being said at NAB on top of what I had already learned here. Yeah. You know, I see a lot of application for VR, and unlike 3D where I was, we were both sceptical. I remain sceptical about VR for narrative. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Because the whole, the whole point, I think, of, of way a director and, and editor work is they, direct, they deliberately direct your attention around a scene. Exactly. Um, and granted, you can do a certain amount of that in VR using audio and the, and the video and all that, but you're not gaining anything yeah. narrative-wise. You're forcing people to strap on a headset again. You lose the community experience of viewing, which is one of the things that with 3D yeah. was one of the problems. Where you, If you're sitting there with a group of people watching something, you tend to interact and yeah. occasionally look at the person next to you to see how they are reacting, etc. All that's gone. So it's a it's a very personal, singular experience, which is probably why Facebook likes it, because they're trying to just dis- disconnect us from other human beings. By connecting um, us. Was, yeah. <laughs> in, in a different way. I can see niche markets. I think it'll do well for a while. I can see, certainly, instead of going out with a real estate agent and driving around and looking through 24 houses, yeah. you go to their office, you sit down, you put the helmet on, and you walk through 24 houses. That makes a lot more sense. And, of course, there goes some more people that are employed in probably the real estate world, but yep. here you go. I'm sure showing houses is the least exciting part of a real estate agent's business. Probably, but it's got to be the most time-consuming. Oh, absolutely, most time-consuming. And oh. ga- gaming, of course, and remote telepresence stuff, mm-hmm. exhibition, exhibits in, in museums and the like. Of course, then there's the part that nobody wants to talk about, you know, and the public is... Porn, yeah. and every time I I think of that, I just go back to that uh, brain brainstorm. Remember that movie? Was it brainstorm? Uh, brainstorm. Yeah. yeah, it was brainstorm. Right with Natalie Wood, the one she died while they were filming it. 
There's a scene right. in that movie because the whole thing was about you know you hooked this helmet right. up and you were basically reliving what somebody else had recorded. So you could oh, put yeah, the helmet yeah. on and go. So some guy had a, the young stud go and record a sexual interlude, and then he put it on a loop. And when they found him. <laughs> <laughs> It was like well, a vegetable. But again, it's directing attention. I'm, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that if you looked around the scene of a porn video shoot, yeah, it would be it pretty would be boring. very unsexy. Yeah, I mean, it would, exactly. It would be very really mood killing. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of, I mean, I really don't think I'd want to look around and see the fluffer working on the next performer or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it would, be, it would be educational. I guess so, but yeah. I'm pretty sure people don't watch those movies for educational purposes. I've Probably not. <laughs> Beyond teenage years, at least. <laughs> I look at it and I go, I'm not sure where it is. I do know that um, what Lucas told me is, and he's now obviously been doing this for a while, so he's seen a lot of people watching VR, and, and he said what happens is, re- almost religiously, the people, you know, when they put it, the helmet on, they're looking all around, wow, wow, wow. And then after a few minutes, they settle straight in front of themselves. Yeah. Because that's where the stuff is happening, and that's where they're watching, and then that's what your whole uh, challenge is when you're editing is to keep the action in that area, that yeah. little window that they're watching. In the, so, so you're essentially wasting the rest at that point, yeah. for especially for dramatic. Because if I get bored with what's going on in front of me and I start looking around the room and it cuts and something else happens up there, I've missed it. Yeah. So you want to keep everything in one area, and so if that's what we're talking about. It's a useless game again. I mean, who's going to put on the helmet and sit there for two hours watching a movie if they never look around to take advantage of all the rest of the environment? The complications it adds for shooting. Yes. I mean, uh, it's just, insane complications. A, a, lunch with, a lunch with Liz Radley that I published just recently. Liz was talking about a, a shoot where she was doing the back, the behind the scene stuff. Uh-huh. And in the movie, there's this you know incredible solitary scene where somebody's out in the middle of nowhere and the, the, the camera is panning around. It's, it's, a steady cam is moving around them in a big circle. Uh-huh. And of course, in the behind the scenes video, you see the entire crew running behind the, key, yes. the steady cam guy yeah. to stay out of shot. Right, right. Which is completely out of keeping with the, the concept, right? The concept of what's going the solitary guy in the middle of nowhere. But if that was VR, where all is that crew going to go? Well, that's <laughs> the thing. You can't. You, you can't hide them. So it's really, it lends itself more to documentary type thing you know you're, you're a concert for example yeah. you know you put the camera in the middle of a concert it's like okay i'm in the concert i can look around at the crowd around me and look back at the band i look around at the crowd so that kind of thing it's a niche experience that you're delivering and one of the hottest examples that i heard about that I didn't experience is that the vr rig is in a roller coaster so yeah. you, you put the vr rig on then get shot off on the roller coaster but what you're seeing is a fly through through a city through the in the air Oh, okay. So now your visual and yeah. gravity forces on your body and centrifugal force on the body match. Yes, that would make sense. It's one of the rare cases where they would and you didn't have the dissonance. I thought that would be really incredible. I guess it was two or three years ago at the HPA Tech Retreat is when Lucas was showing VR and it was sort of nascent at that point. He showed me all the stuff and, and I tried it on. I thought, this is really cool. And when I was walking away, the the first thing I thought of, I don't know why, but in it and still... I think it's a great idea and somebody will do it. So imagine you walk into this experience. You put on a suit, you know, a special suit, and and then you put the helmet on and they sort of walk you. They now walk you by hand and what you see is you're walking to the edge of a cliff. 
What's really happening is they're just walking you up to the edge of one of those. You ever, you ever see the flying booths where it's a, a giant fan underneath? Oh, and yeah. People go in and you yeah, fly, yeah, right? Yeah. So, okay, so imagine uh, you had a room that just has a bunch of fans in it, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And while you're standing there waiting to jump off the edge of the cliff, they're actually hooking up the back of the suit to a bunch of cables. So now when you jump off the cliff, you're actually suspended by those cables and they're synchronized to the helmet and what's going on in the helmet. And the fans are also synchronized. So what you're seeing and experiencing is that you're flying – Right, yeah. and the physical sensations you get is the wind blowing against you in whatever direction you go, and the wires would keep you moving properly, so you'd have the right gravity feel yeah. as you were flying, but you could fly whichever direction you want. That would be an amazing experience it because it would be what we all dream about—that flying. You know, I want to fly. You'd actually be able to do it. Now, obviously, you're not truly flying, but it, to every sense of your body. Except for logic, you would be flying. (laughs) You would be flying. So if you suspend the logical disbelief part, you're you're flying, and that would be. I think I I don't know what I'd pay thirty bucks, fifty bucks to do. You know, twenty minutes of that. Somebody's going to put those together and and make a killing doing it. Yeah, yeah. Combining a virtual reality experience with a with a physical yes reality that matches exactly. I mean, it's it's stuff they tried to do with the moving seats and vibration and all this in the theaters for years. Here, we're finally at a point where we can make it work right. So it'll be it'll be interesting. But that's still a niche market. It's not, and it has to be true three D. You can't shoot that. That's part of the problem. In any of these productions, where they go out and shoot something for VR, it's not true virtual reality. It's true virtual reality would be I look over and I notice a door and I walk over and walk through the door. You yeah. can do that in a 3D generated uh, – I mean I don't like mean 3D. Environment, yes, yeah. exactly. I, I'm not stereo vision. I'm talking about 3D modeled environment because then it, wherever you go, you're there. But if you want to shoot something like that, you can't because you can't go, well, I think they're going to walk through that door. Let's move the camera over. The, you know, you, yeah, there's yeah. no way you could predict. So. It has to be something like that where it's a, a, a generated environment so that if you decide when you're flying, I'm going to go over there, you could actually go over there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. This is, that, that's where I see lots of potential for this technology but not in, as you said, uh, in narrative. It's just not. But you know, who cares? <laughs> well, there's lots of money to be made outside of narrative. Yes, I agree. So well, more money actually. Yes, yeah. like I said, I would pay thirty bucks, fifty bucks for twenty minutes. I'm not going to pay fifty bucks to watch twenty minutes of a narrative show. No, that's true. That's true. The irony: we in the new location, we have full you know, hundred channel cable access. Yeah, we've used it exactly twice. <laughs> Live television is such a horrible, horrible experience. Yes, after you've got used to an on-demand world. Yes, that it's like okay. I'll pay for this, but I won't use it. I'm pretty excited about, I got a, an Amazon Firebox. Oh, yeah. So what it does, because I have UVerse, and with UVerse we have Showtime and, yeah, yeah. And, and HBO and all that. So if I wanted to watch something on HBO or Showtime on UVerse, I either have to be there when it's on or I have to record it. So I have to plan ahead and record it. Okay, with the Amazon Fire, you download the app, so I can download the Showtime app yeah, and the yeah. HBO app, etc. And because I have, I'm already getting it on UVerse. I don't have to pay for the subscription there; yeah. it's already included. But now I go to the HBO app, for example, and I've got the whole library, and I can watch it whenever I want. 
So it's yeah. the best of both worlds. We thought we would do that. We thought one of the big advantages of having the cable subscription is that we could access the CBS app yeah, and all these other exactly. apps. Except for the amount of, amount of stuff you can get through their app is so incredibly limited or oh. deliberately restricted oh, there, is that to make it useless. So CBS is doing that? Does CBS they, have an app for, for Apple TV? and They're limiting on it. Yeah, well, like, of course, because they're not a paid subscription normally, yeah. so they're not built for that model. Yeah. So it works great with HBO and Showtime because that's the model yeah, they're built on. For, yeah, so... Hmm, that's interesting. I, I like uh, I watch stuff on History Channel. That's pretty convenient. But that's the same thing we found on almost all of the apps that we we looked at after going through horrible sign-in processes. Yes, that is a pain. Right. You know, you've got to go to the website and create an app, create your account, and then set it up on the website before you can go back to the app itself and then type in something. Do these people not actually use their own stuff? <laughs> that's that's the thing. Is clearly people who manage these apps and manage these channels don't actually use them and don't know anybody that uses them because if they did then they would not be like they are right right it's a problem with legacy businesses that don't want to do anything that might possibly take away from their highly profitable legacy business while at the same time a good portion of the organization recognizes that this legacy business is going to die relatively quickly and relatively suddenly so we should have our fingers in the next business but most people aren't prepared to say well we have to go full on into what's going to be because what we've got now is going to be gone you know one of the few companies that do that regularly is is apple Mm -hmm. they will kill their own children well it'll be interesting to see if that continues to happen that's uh without steve jobs there well yeah we'll see a bit of a difference yeah he was one willing to do that and that's kind of what you need because in a normal situation if the ceo comes and says you know i want to completely change what we're doing and as a business model the board might go eh, no we're not no that's not yeah. a good idea well that was a unique situation where steve jobs could tell the board to go pound sand and there's nothing they could do. well he owned the board basically so yeah it's kinda, he, did, he did stack the board <laughs> yeah. so he could get away with that but if you think about it when he said no we're not going to be a computer company anymore we're going to do phones now that you know, normal board would say ah eh, no no. Well, every indication is they're still looking at doing other areas where they can disrupt. So we'll see over time. It's the only way to tell. Yeah, it is. It's the only way to tell is over time. But it, they haven't been innovating as they used to on as regular a uh, uh, schedule anymore. So okay, I know you're a little more. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more positive about it. <laughs> the Apple Watch was not a major innovation. <laughs> well, neither was I, neither was an. MP3. I don't see you wearing one. <laughs> No, I didn't. I was an iPhone four before I bought one. It didn't fill a need in my life. Right. You know. mm-hmm. Of course, we haven't mentioned about ninety nine percent of the entire NAB show, which was well, I don't know because I don't go very much into the into the other halls. <laughs> to be completely and absolutely honest, I made two passes through halls this year at all. Wow! One to make sure I did go around all of those little booths around the corners, just to make sure I didn't miss anything interesting. Okay, and nothing. Okay, nothing that jumped out or was. That's the other area that I would miss, but nobody gave me any feedback of anything good there. I didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything there. And the other time I was inside a hall was to to go to the B and H booth where they did the studio daily presentation, and I came back there via the Zcam booth. The rest of the time I spent at the Final Cut Exchange demo suite. Oh, okay. Where? You may have heard Apple did some NDA previews. Oh, I did not hear. Oh, yes. The first group of people got in for the marketing briefing from Apple uh, had to sign NDAs, and then because this was most unexpected. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, they, that word got out. They were repeating the marketing presentation the next morning. So 
I believe the lineup was extreme from about 20 past nine for a 10 o'clock, 10.30 presentation. Mm-hmm. And of course, whatever they said didn't leave the room. Right. Is any of it come out yet or no, not? No. Oh, okay. So it's still under NDA. All right. Yeah. I think it's amazing that we're, well, what, a month out from NAB? Well, not quite a month out, three weeks out from NAB. Yeah. Still nothing about nothing it. Nothing has leaked. I know they've done similar previews at uh, editor's retreats under NDA and people have, have held them down. This was a lot bolder, I think, because you just had to register and turn up for that suite. You, oh, wow. The editor's retreat sort of gets a certain class of right. person there, whereas this was open to pretty much anyone who wanted to come. You didn't even have to be registered for an AB. I'm sure a lot of the intention was so that the message got out that there is still active development on Final Cut, oh, okay. that we are long time between developments. Um, so they wanted the buzz. Well, they just wanted to alleviate that it's been X number of days or X number of weeks since major feature releases in Final Cut 10. Oh, okay. Buzz going on saying, oh, well, it's been a year since the last major release. Apple's lost interest in Final Cut Pro. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think they just want to make sure that people did understand that they're doing a lot of work that's not showing up yet. Ah, okay. And so you were happy. So I wasn't in the room. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you don't know. Okay. Oh, it was, it, it was, uh, I was at the, at the, um, the Studio Daily presentation would have took me out of the line. So. Oh, oh yeah. No. <laughs> that was more important anyways. For me, yeah. We'll have to, you know what? We should have a show just about that. Oh, well, it's not that important. <laughs> Well, anyway, I think, there was I think lot, it is. There was a lot of stuff happening at NAB. I think there was a lot more interest in Final Cut Pro 10. The, roughly the numbers in that uh, demo suite, same room, but were about twice as many people. Mm-hmm. And there were Apple Pro Apps team folk there the entire time. There was all, uh, pretty much always somebody from Apple uh, at a senior level there listening to, engaging with people, and, and actively talking with them. And they didn't have to pay $300 to go to the ACA. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help resist <laughs> or not resist slipping that one in under there. <laughs> Speaking of which, what they spend on that, they could take about a third of what they spend on that in any one year, and I could have my full-blown color corrector of Da Vinci quality in the symphony. <sighs> oh, well. So, anything so it, else exciting in NAB? No, that was it. That was pretty much it. Another NAB, a nice stabilizing year, which I'm thankful for because it's nice to have a year where we can work out how we use all these tools and how we make the workflows work. Mm-hmm. But nothing, nothing outstanding, um, I, and maybe we're still getting jaded. I mean, HDR and expanded color gamut; these are these are exciting things. But yes, but they're not this massive innovation that we keep expecting. What is there to innovate? I mean, we're still doing the same thing that when you went to a, a play and you watched on a on a stage. I mean, it, there's <laughs> how we deliver that to the home can be more efficient or better quality, et cetera. But at the end of the day, how much more can you innovate on basic storytelling? The idea is to get the tools out of the way of the storytelling and let people tell stories easier and better and therefore more people can tell them. Mm -hmm. And that's NAB 2016. Onward to IBC 2016. Gosh, I'm so glad I missed it. I mean, I'm so upset I missed it. Not really. At least least IBC has one big advantage over NAB. You get to go to Europe? You get to go to Amsterdam (laughs) instead of Las Vegas. And I have to say that is (laughs) a huge advantage. I didn't mention that part, but something about going to Las Vegas just automatically turns me off to start with. So that's another whole negative on on the NAB experience. Shortest time at NAB... the, as you know, we've, uh, probably the audience doesn't know, but, but Greg and I bought a house uh, end of last year, moved, um, moved early this year, and it's beautiful and quiet, mm-hmm. very quiet. The noisiest thing is, is a mockingbird. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so going from that 
you know, and we've had more than three weeks to get used to it. So we had it about six, seven weeks by the time we came to, to NAB. Going from that to Las Vegas Which is was just, really uh, jarring. Yeah. Well, more jarring than, than in previous years, I think. Yeah. And we hightailed it out there as quickly as we could. <laughs> as soon as as soon as our obligations are over, it's like, all right, Leadfoot. Let's we'll wait we'll wait till lunchtime so we can call to lunch with Philip and Greg with with uh, Oliver Peters and and then out of town at home. Barrett's peaceful and quiet. Nice. So the best thing about NAB is leaving it. <laughs> so you're saying the best thing about NAB is having it in your rearview mirror. The best thing about Los, NAB at Las Vegas is having it in my rearview mirror. I would definitely miss the networking, the opportunity to see people I don't otherwise see. Right. But maybe that's with social media, that's nowhere near as important as it was, and we should be going to the desert at an HPA in February instead. There you go. I don't know where the HP. Oh, there is an HPA in Europe. There is. They're this year, they're doing the first one. It's in uh, June or July. June. I think it's in June. A uh, bit quick for Greg's new visa. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another thing that's changed since our last show was recorded. That's right. I didn't know if, if, if you wanted me to say that or not. Oh, I'm, I am now an American citizen. Just in time to vote in the worst election of the history of I the think, country. I think this is an election where every vote is needed. Yeah. And I intend to make mine count. Cool. Can, and welcome. If we don't do another show before the election, be sure to go and vote. <laughs> we will definitely do a, a, another show before the election. And in the meantime, if, if you need something finished properly, if you want your project that you've been working on and got beautiful storytelling done and you want the, the pictures and the sound to match the, the glory of your story, send it, come on over to Alpha Dogs and get it done right. Well, thank you. And if you are an offline editor who wants your life to be easier or a producer who would like to streamline workflows through the whole post process, actually production to post process, lumberjacksystems.com or go to intelligentassistance.com and see all the great tools that are available there. Until next time, do something creative. Bye. <laughs>